In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I break down the news that the Sixers will use three different starting lineups throughout the rest of the season, going over what problems we think the Sixers are looking to address with the change and how effective we think it will be. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman, who is on the road, sitting there in a hotel in Portland. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm doing fine. I'm uh, I'm experiencing the the west coast of our beautiful country right now. We're not really the whole thing, just L.A. and and Portland. But yeah, back when we both wrote for the Athletic, you'd kind of fight over that trip because there's usually two days in L.A. and two days in L.A. in January and February is not the worst place. Not two days, two games, which is usually three days of no travel in L.A. in January and February. That is a that is the right road trip to be on. That is the right yeah. road trip to be on. Yes, and this was kind of the road trip of uh of both extremes because I have I don't think I've ever done I told you this before I don't think I've ever done a back-to-back road game yeah. trip so basically you get done in in Utah and then oh by the way the next night in LA there's a there's another game so when you see the Sixers kind of sleepwalking through those games which they they kind of did they got away with it but they kind of did I I kind of feel their pain now after that because that uh <laughs> That is a mighty quick turnaround. I know they fly private and all that stuff, but needless to say, I didn't have a ton of juice for that one. That said, when you get the two games in LA, that's uh, that's about as good as it gets. If if a sports writer doesn't have juice, what does like their words per minute go from like 105 to like 90? Like, is that how that works? Well, for me, it goes from like 50 <laughs> to about five. Okay. Okay. I hear you. I hear, that, that's the way I get it by like 10 o'clock at night because I'm a morning person which uh, this is the wrong industry to be a morning person. But like by the time the game ends, I'm like, I'm barely there. I'm barely but, there. By the way, that was my question. Are you, are you making it through these games, old man? Uh, last game, the game against the, uh, against the Clippers. I woke up at uh, like five o'clock in the morning and watch it then. Yeah. Yeah it's, yeah. it's your schedule, man. You do what you got to do. You do what you got to do. Honestly, I went, I specifically went to sleep early so I could wake up early. Um, rather than even give it a shot. Cause I knew like when that, when, when did that game end? 1230 on East coast. I'm not going to be, you know, taking anything in at 1230. I'm too old for that shit. Yeah, it, it was 1230. <laughs> anyway, anyway. You know uh, yourself. That's good. I look, I'm a morning person. I've, I tried to fight it. It's weird. Back when I was doing my tech job, I was a night person. Now that I switched to a an industry where everything happens at night, my body's like, hey, five o'clock. That's when you're most awake. Fuck you. Anyway, <laughs> nobody needs to to hear sports writers, writers whine about being a, being morning person. Sixers made a a minor change to their lineup. Something that quite honestly, I, and I think that's probably where we'll start and we'll get into some of the, the games and the specifics, especially of the Clippers game since that was most recent. So something we had talked about not too long ago, we had a mailbag pod a couple of weeks ago, maybe. Uh, and I think it was Nate Duncan who asked um, whether if the only priority was to win this year, whether they should put DeAnthony Melton in the starting lineup over Tyrese Maxey. And I think we both kind of said at the time we were a little more interested in replacing PJ Tucker in the lineup because I mean we've all watched PJ Tucker, but that you know what, what minute did we get to when the PJ bashing started? All right, we're at three thirty. <laughs> okay, yeah, look, he made two threes. There's no bashing this podcast. I know he almost made a third too. And I I thought to myself, <laughs> I wrote in my notes that would be too much. Okay. Yeah, that would be way too much. 
Would that be a season high? We should check that. Some some look that up. No, he had 15, I think, in a game. All right, I'm looking it up right now. The first week of the season. You talk about the starting lineup, and I will chime (laughs) in with the PJ Tucker. Um, But I think we acknowledge that there was some some interest in that, or at least some validity in that, because if you're going to play the Maxi and Harden duo in the backcourt, and even with Tyrese Maxi in the you know sent to the bench, quote unquote, you're still going to have to have some overlap there. But if you were going to have to play them together, it might be a little bit easier to make that work when you have a chance to dictate the matchups and a chance to maybe go up against bench units and reserve players, people who wouldn't be able to exploit that. And I think we saw another couple of weeks play out where they were pretty bad defensively. And the team as a whole, quite frankly, you know, I broke it down into the basically the half season that we've gone through into three chunks. And you have the first nine games where the whole team was healthy and they had, hold on, I should pull this up since I have the stats right here in an article, but you had the first nine games of the season when everybody was healthy. They had the fourth ranked offense and the 23rd ranked defense. Then you had first Harden and then Maxi start going out of the lineup and they played 24 games where one of those two was not available for, for that, that 24 game stretch. They had the 19th ranked offense and the first ranked defense. Then ever since then, and that, that when I wrote this, it was 10 games, but there's been, I think two more since they had the third, when everybody was back healthy, both their guards, they had the third ranked offense and the 22nd ranked defense. And those trends, well, maybe there's not quite enough sample for any of them to be definitive. There's certainly trends that you can pick up. And I think they're things that make sense. And, you know, you, you watched last night's game against the Clippers and they bring Tyrese Maxey in pretty much the exact same time that Norm Powell comes in. They have a chance to maybe... I mean, Norm Powell's a very good offensive player, but at least somebody who Maxie can physically match up with a little bit better. You just have a chance to dictate those a little more. So I guess we'll start off with you. Were you surprised? And Doc Rivers claims that there are going to be three starting lineups that they, they use at various points. Sometimes they will use them based on what the other team is dictating matchup-wise, sometimes to get the matchups that they want. We've only seen one starting lineup in the two games since that change was made. You presume that the original starting lineup will be one of the remaining two, and then there's a third yet to be revealed. But going back to it, were you surprised they made that change? And do you think this can help solve some of their defensive issues? Also, an answer to the P.J. Tucker question of when he got his 15-point game. Uh, he had 13 points against the Wizards on Halloween night. Okay. How about that? Okay. okay. It go. felt like 15, though. It really... <laughs> it was something. Uh <laughs> So when Doc initially said that, not a big deal, but I answered. I asked the question. I was flabbergasted, honestly, to volunteer the the three starting lineup. That's like my here. favorite thing that like sports writers will do, though. Like in their their column, they'll be like, and then I ask Doc Rivers about. <laughs> it'll know. be like the most benign question ever. Nobody freaking cares who asks a question. Just report anyway. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I know, uh, which is why I said not a big deal, seriously, <laughs> because I just asked a question that I think. The next three no, people I mean, we're going to ask anyway. Nobody should give you a, a statue, but if you want to, you know, you can you can get one for rich. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind a statue. Okay, so when he said that though, I was flabbergasted because the like he just volunteered that out of nowhere. I think it, the question was just like, so why did you bring Tyrese off the bench? And then he he immediately goes, "We have three starting lineups," and it's like, okay. Uh, so I do support the move overall. Um, I think it makes the Sixers a far more interesting team. I think it's 
makes them seem like a little bit more of a forward thinking team, like that you don't have to just treat NBA basketball the same way everybody has for years. And I, I just generally support the idea of adjusting and playing the matchups a little bit better. As for the other starting lineup, I did get a kick out of Doc making a big deal when he went out of his way to say, I'm not telling you the lineups. Yeah. I'm not telling you. And it's like, well, okay, buddy. Uh, we already know two of them because <laughs> there's the old one and then there's the one you played. So, you know, I, and by the way, if I had to bet, I think the other one is just move Tucker out, put Melton in there. That would be my guess. You know, maybe, maybe he wants to put Thibel in there or something like that. So yeah, I generally support it. I think I, I'm going to just put this on you though. Like, I thought you and the Daily Six had a really good piece kind of breaking down the reasoning and the stats of those lineups, which, by the way, those two lineups in the small sample, the the new starting lineup, the old starting lineup, whatever, they're both the starting lineups. They've both been pretty good. But uh, like the when you dig deeper and kind of look at the potential reasoning, I guess, like, why don't you give a little promo and sum up for the listeners what you wrote about there? Um. Yeah, so I mean, to your point, the the original starting lineup does have a, or at least they previously had like a plus twelve ish net rating, but almost all of that came in one game, in that they beat the Pistons like fifty seven twenty four in like seventeen minutes, uh, and that was you know if they had a they had like a plus fifty something on the season, and like legitimately half of that came in in one game. They were Troy like, Weaver thinks the dam is going to break pretty. Soon, <laughs> they were at like a plus five or plus six. Which might sound okay, but for a Sixer starting lineup, pretty much ever since Joel Embiid's been healthy, that would probably be the worst one of the Joel Embiid era, I would guess. Uh, the Melton in place was somewhere like a plus twelve, or th- I don't have that actually in front of me. It was um, it was right around the same number. Yeah, it was like somewhere in a plus twelve, plus thirteen. Might have gotten uh, a little range. worse last night, actually. Yeah, uh, no, I haven't checked since then. And then the one the third with quarter Mat- hurt. Matisse that I uh, proposed which was actually Melton and Matisse with Maxi off the bench was a plus 31. It doesn't matter. They've played 16 possessions. So, you know, I think, look, I think there's been a couple of pretty clear trends. When Maxi and Harden are in together, they allow more dribble penetration. Even when Joe's in there, the other team shoots a really high percentage at the rim. They allow more stuff in transition when Maxi and Harden are on there for reasons I think we can, uh, would be pretty obvious. And they struggle to fight through screens and they struggle to defend the pick and roll. And there's, we can go over all kinds of stuff. It's been a struggle. And I think we all sort of predicted it was going to be a struggle. I don't think this caught us completely off guard. You know, I think you can make a case at times that they shoot their way and score their way out of it. But more and more, we've seen that group struggle. I don't necessarily know if this will fix it because there's a part of me and, you know, going back to the pod and how we open this. I do think being able to choose when those lineups can be played will help a little bit. But I do still have a little bit of a concern that there just might be, you know, if you break it down and you've got, um, what, what is 48 times five, 240 minutes to play in a game. And you're going to give, you know, a combined 130, 140 of them to some combination of James Harden, Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris you might just have too many negative defenders where it almost doesn't matter who starts or not. It might be tough to build a world-class defense with those players available. And that's sort of where my biggest concern is. I have two concerns. First of all, you know, in an ideal world, your starting five, your five best players would also be versatile enough 
where you can play them and start them every night. In part because you can just you build familiarity, you get like sort of like a connection, you know where everyone's going to be, everyone knows the rotation they need to make, the weaknesses they need to cover up, the communication improves. That's a perfect world. Okay, well now they're basically saying, okay, well our starting five is not versatile enough to win night in, night out, or to compete defensively night in, night out. So we're going to have three of them. You chip away a little bit, I think, at that sort of togetherness that you can build, which is fine. I still think it might be the right option, but it's not an ideal world. And I have this nagging suspicion that yeah, maybe even putting Melton in there is not going to fix. I think it's it's a better defensive lineup, but you still might, like I said, you, it's having three players like Maxi Harden and Harris might be tough to reach that elite defensive level. I think they need to reach. But my biggest concern, by far my biggest concern, is okay. Maxi's okay with this now. You can't have Maxi coming off the bench for three years. Like, I don't think this is a problem that is going to go away, and I don't know how long you can realistically use this as a solution. That's my biggest concern. And again, to be clear, like, Maxi's not saying anything to make me concerned in the short term. Hmm. Clutch's history might make me concerned in the long term. But, like, Maxi's a young, up-and-coming star who's going to want a contract extension, and as much as you and I and people sitting on a podcast can say, oh, well, starting doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. He'll still get 30 games and lots of touches, score a lot of points. And that's all true. There's a status that comes with starting. And I worry about that a little bit. They're saying that that duo is not good enough defensively to start together. Now, I don't see that problem getting better as James Harden ages out of his prime. And I don't know how you rectify that long term. Yeah, that's the biggest concern. Uh, I'm looking at it now. The, the Melton lineup in 460 possessions plus 11.1, the old starting lineup plus 12 in about 300 possessions. Yeah. So both of them are good. And I think they're both at, of them have pretty bad defenses, but have shot the snot out of the ball. Uh, the, the Melton lineup has actually been a little worse defensively. The, the, yeah. uh, the maxi one has been okay actually. And that's probably a small sample and, and some noise like, look, I think, to the Sixers credit, they're just not looking at the numbers. I feel like they're being proactive here and that that Maxi group has been okay defensively, but there's, you know, there have been kind of these flashbulb games like the Shade Gilgis Alexander show uh last week where it's like, "Up, oh, I'm not sure this is going to work against the best team." So, I do give them some credit for getting out in front of it. For me, the the biggest concern is the thing you said, it's it's the the ego of of Tyrese Maxi and I I am um, I like I, I think that's healthy in some ways. I'm not saying he's got an unnaturally sized ego. I just think I mean, just go back to what Doc said about, you know, Maxie texting him and he told him, you know, he's Doc allegedly said that Maxie texted him and said it's okay to bring him off the bench. Doc says a lot of things. He has an interesting yeah, relationship yeah. with the but truth. The truth? <laughs> yeah. And he uh he could spin a good yarn, so to speak. Yeah. Like I I think when Doc lies it's generally in the the name of trying to tell a good story. I'm not saying that's what happened here. That said, Doc brought that up after the Lakers game, and then Maxi comes in, and eh, the body language was not exactly the yeah. same when he said that. And you know, I, I do wonder, and I think it would be natural to wonder um, if he's a little bit uncomfortable with the move. And again, I don't think this is a demerit on Maxi's character or anything. Like he's genuinely one of the nicest, happiest people, yeah. not only that I'll cover, that I'll ever encounter in my life. Yeah. 
but starting is a badge of honor to most of these guys. And now he's, he's not doing it. Now, all that said, he was in a much better mood after the Clippers game because he shot the shit out of the ball and yeah. he was responsible for kind of authoring the most important stretch of that game. When you score 11 in a row to propel your team to victory, then it'd be in a good mood. Yeah. Yep. I, w- Mostly I, w- bench I wouldn't, I wouldn't know that, but that that's what I would assume. Yeah. <laughs> important clarification there. <laughs> Mostly bench against bench lineups and the Clippers bring in Moses, Moses Brown, you know, this traditional center off the bench, plays drop coverage and Maxi knocks in three consecutive threes against that deep drop. And, you know, for Maxi, who has been, he's been just out of rhythm on those off the bounce threes that we know he can make with ease when he's kind of in form and healthy. That just is like those are, have been no hopers, probably for the past week and a half. That was a great sign. Like he's made some catch and shoot shots, but th- those ones have not gone in. Him playing with Shake Milton has um has gone well. Uh, quick tangent. Speaking of Shake, I, I would be remiss uh, not to mention. When he scored on one of those bulldozer drives in transition on Paul George, I was reminded of one of the great tweets of really our time when um, when he lit up the clips in Staples right before the pandemic from, uh, I believe, Trill Withers, which essentially reads, Paul George defending Shake Milton. Help! Help, damn it! <laughs> I don't know. That yeah, one that, was, that, was, that was a crazy, crazy performance he had out there. Uh, that was That was my L.A. trip. Right, uh, right at the wrong time when the world was crumbling. Yep. So, I, I echo all of your statistical sentiments. Like, but as you mentioned in your column, like the starting lineup does matter. Like that, you could dictate the matchups. I hate, I hate the way people say that. Oh, it doesn't matter who starts. What are you talking about? This they play twelve to fifteen minutes together. Of course it matters. Of course it matters against the other team's best guys yeah, generally too. Right? Yeah. Of course it does matter. Like that. Do you realize that the Sixers have won 50 games every year and the commonality is, oh, yeah, the starting lineup kills people. That's the primarily the reason. Okay. <laughs> so it, it is important. And, yeah, it's just it, it'll be a, a little bit unorthodox. I mean, I'll be very curious to see, like, what matchup is going to call for Doc to change it up. Like, I think they play Portland tomorrow night. Yep. I mean – I guess my general point is like you go around the NBA. It's not like a lot of teams are like, especially a lot of good teams. Like, oh yeah, their guards suck. That doesn't really happen that much. (laughs) You're not playing the process Sixers. Yeah. You need to be able to defend on the perimeter. And Portland has two. I think this is going to be really interesting. Portland's got two really small guards. They happen to be very good offensive players, both of them. So yeah, that'll be, uh, that'll be interesting. And then, you know, I, I I guess we'll see what um what happens there. I, I certainly think it makes the uh the Sixers a more interesting team to cover, like from our nerdy standpoint, if they're changing the uh the starting lineup sure. every single night. I, I and I, I do want to emphasize that Maxi, like I think he, he kinda went out of his way to mention, you know, in my new role I kinda gotta feel the game. Like it'll be interesting. Like what what does he mean by his new role? Is that just a part time bench player? Is that whatever? Like you had Joel and Tobias like going out of their way to be like, look, he's going to start some game. So I guess, I guess we'll see, but echo your sentiments. Like from a long-term standpoint, this is not a full-time solution. Uh, one, one other thing I would say too, that I'm going to be fascinated in tracking moving forward because the rotation has been shaken up is the closing lineup because that also changes every night too. And I think with the way Maxi 
is being sub now, like he's going to play a lot of minutes in a row in these fourth quarters uh, if he is cooking because it, like, it changes every night. I mean, you're going to have three guys out there every single night, I think, in both lineups, right? You're going to have Joel, James, and Tobias. They're, they're in. But the other two spots seem like they're yeah. they're kind of up for grabs. Maybe PJ's spot in the starting lineup isn't up for grabs because he's old and whatever. But like the other night at Staples when LeBron was lighting up PJ, not, not a great sign that precisely the same type of matchup you would bring him in. Doc was like, you know what? We're going to play Tyrese and we're going to play Niang and Tobias, you go guard LeBron. So it seems like that can change on a fairly consistent basis. And really it has changed yep. the entire year. So I, I guess like the way to wrap it up is like, it's, it's kind of crazy where I, I don't mind the Sixers rotation. I think the, the backcourt and perimeter defense is obviously the biggest perimeter or that's the biggest weakness kind of on the team, but it's still a pretty well-rounded team yeah. playing pretty good basketball. I have not experienced like a team that can really throw all of these different lineups and really will willingly do that. And there's a human element too, that I will be curious to track. Yeah. Yeah. And again, Tyrese is as good of like when we're saying we're concerned about that, it's because I worry about everything. Like that's just my personality. And because history suggests that players of a certain stature eventually want to start. Um, and even if he's okay with it now, even if he is tech texting doc right now, even if he is pushing for it and what's best for the team, you know, you do it for a year and a half, it might start to get old. Again, that's not saying that Tyrese is making any problems with it. It's just something I that sticks in the back of my mind. And also, like, forget the starting. Harden and Maxi are going to have to be effective playing together. It might, and, and I think this was one other thing I wanted to, like, point out. Like, first of all, I hate when people talk about, oh, you need more bench scoring, so this makes sense. No, you don't. You're still getting the same amount of scoring from the same four people and complimenting around them. You can stagger them so that they are on the court, whether they start or come off the bench. It doesn't matter. But also, like, you're still going to have to get 12 to 15 minutes of Harden playing alongside Maxi if you want both of them playing 35 plus minutes per game. You could always stagger them so that I, I think one thing I looked at, like in the 18 games or whatever that they were both together. There's only 48 minutes where neither of them were on the court. They were staggered as much as possible. Um, this is just shifting when those minutes come, which again, I think could help, but I do still just worry like, you know, if they can't play together and if they can't compete together defensively, that is a, a pretty big blow from a, a team building perspective, but we will, we will see how things look here in the next uh, couple months as they try this out. I, you know what? And I, and I will say credit to Maxi, even if he doesn't, want to do this that like he certainly is not yeah he might have been disappointed and he might have given um yeah a little bit of disappointed body language but in nba terms like he could make a much bigger fuss so we'll see if that continues but certainly uh handled the demotion well i i guess if you're going to take a 20 point per game score a third year rising star to do this with maxi is probably about the best case scenario he'll he'll probably handle it as well as anyone it's just a tough thing to handle. Yep. Um, so that, and I, I guess kind of the other reason I brought up, uh, like, like why, why this starting lineup is an interesting conversation is that, you know, Maxi is this ascendant talent. He's this unbelievable scorer. As we have seen over the past week, as the Sixers have gone three and zero on the road trip, first two were pretty close. Could have went either way. Those ones. I don't want to say they were a dominant, 3-0. and 
What, you have any comment on that? No, I was just going to say, like, going out on limb, calling one-point wins is a coin flip games. Yeah, I, I think you're right on that one. They were, they, were, they were fun ones, though. <laughs> they I, were. I, I enjoyed them. I know. I had a lot of fun watching them at 6 a.m. Well, first off, I don't think anybody watched <laughs> the Utah one because I was, I was just, like, looking at my Twitter timeline, which is a lot of people who watch and talk about the Sixers. There, it's, it's a heavy Sixers slant, believe it or not. It, I'm not finding a new slant on that one. I, I like people who talk about the Sixers. Nobody was watching that. Everybody was watching <laughs> Doug Peterson and the Chargers blowing yeah. that game and Doug Peterson coming back. Well, and I, it was funny. I felt weird. I was like tweeting into the void. I was like, hey, by the way, like just because I'm here in Salt Lake, you know, there's a pretty good basketball game going on right now. So, and then, you, you know, you have the LeBron game. I mean, wow, Russell Westbrook at the end of that one. Oh my but, God. but that said, what, one of the reasons they won both of those games, maybe the, the primary reason, and you know it didn't exactly stop in last night's game, is that Joel Embiid and James Harden are playing awesome yep. together right now. And I think you wonder with Maxi, it's like, do they need him? Like, do they? That's kind of like the optimized version of this team. It's like those two are so good together. It's like maybe you just need Melton or the the best other yeah, defensive the player. Catch and shoot, three and D wing, sure. Sure. And Maxi is much more than that. But that's why, you know, the, the defensive element of it. And, you know, like the Sixers were sleepwalking through that back-to-back. Like Joel, for example, not exactly running on defense, uh, no. back on defense all that hard, which led to a bunch of transition buckets. I thought it was funny. He was like, after the, uh, <laughs> I think a reporter asked him in LA a clumsy question where it was like, did you feel lucky that LeBron didn't have the ball at the end of the game? And Joe, I think rightfully took a little exception. Like, do I feel lucky? He's like, I'm a pretty awesome defender. Like, I think that's fair. And he's right. But then he also said, he was like, you know, he like looks around and he goes, I think I should be defensive player of the year. If we use those stats that you people use, like the, the media. (laughs) And I was, and I was like laughing. I I don't think he's referring to like on off. Yeah, I think that's what he was referring to. Uh, well, because he likes to cite that all the time, too, when it works in his favor. By the way, it is in his favor. That said, I thought it was high comedy hearing that after I don't think he ran back on defense yeah. once combined in that back, back-to-back. back Now, in fairness, like he wasn't even close to the main problem. Maxi, as we talked about, I mean, my God, did he make a bunch of errors on switches and, and things like that. But I think the thing... The Sixers are starting to understand, and this is a super positive development, is that at the end of games, they're the ones getting better shots. Yeah. And they're getting better shots because of Joel Embiid and James Harden. And you see it, like, jazz game. Joel makes that double on the last play against Clarkson. I thought even though Clarkson scored on the one before, that was like a tough runner. Obviously, Russ Hero Ball gave the Sixers an out the, the second night. But, like, the Sixers can turn up their defense and start trying in the fourth quarter. That side note there, by the way, Harden had a possession against the Clippers where he made like three efforts on a closeout and they turned, they eventually turned the Clippers over. I almost passed out in my seat. <laughs> well, it was like when he first got here uh, last year after the trade and he took a charge and I was like, oh my God, what, what? This is how you know it's the honeymoon period. Yeah. Well, okay. This is, and this is good. So things are going well right now. And then on the other end, like the Sixers can force these teams into tougher shots. Not every team. They're not playing the the cream of the crop. There are other teams that can get good shots against them. I don't know, man. They have a play that other teams don't know what to do with. And it's really simple. It's just Joel sets a screen for James and they get a good shot. And it really is the kind of thing where like five years ago, I'm not sure it works. 
when Joel Embiid's shooting 35, 40% from mid-range and he's not that, you know, super vertical athlete, like I'm not sure it has that kind of chemistry, but the way he has developed and if you give him even an inch of space on that 14 footer, practically a layup. It's not even like super technical. It doesn't necessarily always look pretty, but there's just not many things unless you have a pair that can switch that, which, you know, Joel's a pretty big dude. It's tough to switch all of them. It's getting uh, harder and harder to switch. Yeah. Them. And that, also, not if Harden's making step backs, now now it really sucks on both ends of it, yep. but it really sucks to guard Joel now. Yeah. And even switch. like, even Joe, Joe's making like quick reads off the short roll. Like he had one play where he found Yang after they, you know, tried to pinch down on the wing, like get yeah. a hand in his face. He can't do that. You know, a couple of years ago, he probably catches that ball, pump fake, jab step, and takes the same shot. Um, now he's swinging it quickly. He's playing really well. I Joel's, mean, was, like he, he scores 41 and it's just like, oh yeah, Joe scored 41. All right. Well, that, that was pretty funny because, uh, I think, uh, I think Doc had said like, he was like, yeah, he has some quiet 40 point. He, he said it like kind of facetiously. Like he was like, it was, a, it was a good Doc line where he was like, yeah, like he has some quiet ones where I look up and I'm like, man, he had 25 at halftime. And it's like, it just goes to show how well he's playing and how yeah. kind of easy it is to take it for granted. And then Maxi I mean, had an even even funnier quote. He was like, if he doesn't have 35, I'm like, did he play tonight? Like or whatever. So he, no, I mean, over the last month or so, he's averaging 35. So like 41 is a barely above average game. Yeah, he had a couple more buckets. Yeah. You know, crazy. it's, it's, uh, it's wild. I mean, it's, it's so easy to take his complete dominance for granted. Uh, of course, by the way, on the same night where Jokic, Shoots 13 to 14 from the field and has a 30 point almost. Or did he have a triple double? I think he did. Whatever. Anyway, those two guys, they're just, they, they just keep raising the bar. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, if it comes down to late game execution, when both teams are locked in on defense, the Sixers should win most nights. They have that play that's not hard to run. So and, that, that's why when they went through like that week stretch where they like refused to run a goddamn play down the stretch crazy. of multiple games, it's like, what are you doing? We do, but like, we've been talking about like, oh, we need a ball handler so we can run easy offense for like half a decade. You finally get one. You're like, oh, I'm going to go behind my back and do a little ISO here. And no, just fucking run the pick and roll. Just do it. Well, do and it. that's why Embiid going hero ball against Westbrook on that last one. What are you doing? Yeah. Just get in the pick and roll and run that, man. Like, I'm, I promise you, you're probably going to get the shot. Yeah. So that was a mistake. He made up for it. So whatever. Uh, but their clutch offense statistically has not been very good this year. It should be. It should be like, yeah. and it should be like, they have enough here where if they can play offense, defense at the end, they can even put a Niang on the court. They can put a Maxi on the court. I think they should out execute teams on the other end. And that's something we have seen over the, uh, over the past week. So that's been good. Uh, it's, you know, they, they did kind of sleepwalk through the games, but it's almost like they knew like, Hey, if we just like keep our wits about us down the stretch of those games, like we're going to win. And, yep. and they, they did a good job. Sort of what's crazy about the whole lineup change. You don't normally see a team in the middle of winning 16 out of 20 make a change in the starting lineup. Yeah. It's just, that's pretty crazy. Pretty and we crazy. and we, we support that. We we support not just playing the results 100%, right? Yeah, I mean, look, I think I think we were concerned about that defensive pairing coming in. Uh, I think there's certainly been ample evidence that that concern was warranted. Um, if Maxi's bought in, I am up for a little bit of change. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, boy. Thank goodness you got freaking the Anthony Melton though, huh? Yeah. Talk about the, the trade of the offseason. Yeah, that was that was a great one. 
who's struggling uh, right now, but that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, he's going to, as you've seen his percentages, you know, he gets those numbers through some struggles. So, you know, yeah. that's not a 50% three-point shooter like he is on some nights, especially in Philly. What, one other random point about that Jazz game. My Lord, that Rudy Gobert trade might be the wo- most one-sided trade in the history of the league. I mean, I, I holy crap. I, your first move after taking over is trading everything for Rudy Gobert when you already have it's It's just going to be. Oof. Well, do you know I, why I, I said that, though, after watching the Jazz play? Why? Walker Kessler is, is better than Gobert. Okay, okay. I mean, it's one thing to see what a mess the Timberwolves are. It's another to see the Kessler who was like a throw-in in that trade, yeah. is already awesome as a rookie. It, by the way, after he played well against the Sixers, he had a monster game in Minnesota, and they won the game. Like, I think he had 20 and 20. The Wolves could just have him. They could have Walker Kessler, who's going to be better than Gobert for the next 10 years, if he's not already better than him. For nothing! They could yeah. have their entire drafts! Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure he doesn't have the offensive upside to be a star on the, the Joel level. That's why Joel is crazy. But he has a chance to be one of the best role man rim protector guys in the yeah. league. Like Joe had to think twice about scoring on him. Harden yeah. did a great job of baiting him on a couple of instances. But the fact that he made those two guys playing at such a high level actually have to think a little bit through the game for a rookie to do yeah. that, that's really good. No, I mean he has a chance to get some triple doubles with blocks. Like he's he's a real good rim protector for sure. For sure. But even so, like you even forget about the Utah aspect of it, like just going like that being the guy that you're going to go all in in 2022 was just mind boggling. It was just mind boggling. It's just insult to insult though. That, yeah. no, that Kessler fair. is, is also good. It's crazy. He was like the, he was the pick in the twenties. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's legitimately good. So, uh, yeah, Danny Ainge, he gets the big stuff, right? I don't, I don't really know what to say. He gets, he might I get feel the like, small I feel moves, like right? that one though was like a, like that was a layup. I feel like, like how many first round picks were it four? Something like that. Oh, I think it was I feel five. like any. I feel like five. I feel like any GM. Now, look. Obviously, the negotiation you get to that point, you give them a lot of credit for. But once you get to like oh five first round picks and our first round pick last year, I feel like everyone's saying yes to that one. I I completely agree, but I don't know how he gets. No, I don't know either. People to do it is, I guess, my point. Yeah, yeah. that's like, fair. That's fair. You're you're that's right. Fair. Yeah, like the other. It's more the other team being bad than him being good. But guess what? He gets to reap the rewards of it. I am looking at it. It says four. First round picks here, although I, I'm I pretty think, sure I think, they're. I think he was the fifth. Yeah, I think he was considered. Kessler was considered the fifth. By the way, he's good. He's not just a first round pick; like he's a, a live good basketball player. So that's all. That's that's all I really had. I was impressed by him. Fucking wild. Fucking wild. Um, what else is there to catch up on? I think I think James in the first two games was awesome. Yes. And you, no, you don't want to overshadow Joel because like what he's doing isn't normal, but James is kind of the, he's the compass of the team. If he's playing well, you don't, you don't know what you're going to get from him. So yeah. I thought Tobias was a compass. Didn't Tobias say he was a compass well, of the team? He was, he was a good compass last night. Tobias had a billion yeah. steals in last night's game. He, he was, it's kind of weird because he, he had just Only come off the Only two players end. in the last 20 years for the Sixers have had more in the first half. Yeah. He was flying. I mean, I I know that there there's a little bit of luck. The Clippers were kind of throwing him the ball, but man, he was he was all over the place, which is crazy because he had just come off the the knee scare just like one week yep. less than a week ago and caused him a miss a miss a game in Utah. Now he's like he's looking as athletically good as uh, as he always has, which just goes to show like super durable guy. 
Also had 14 points in the first half. And on light when Harden didn't have it and Maxi hadn't yet had his, his explosion. Um, I didn't necessarily love the way some of those points came, but on that night, you needed Tobias to go ISO, post up, pull up. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Look, right now, the starting lineup, you know, you've got Melton who's struggling. You've got PJ who's barely present. You might need a little more uh, from Tobias, especially on nights when Harden doesn't have it going. So that's fine. They needed it last night. Real good Tobias game. Real good game. It is impressive when the bully ball shots go in. Like, I think they're they're super difficult hits. And yeah. for him to have the touch on those is, is pretty impressive. But I think for that reason, because they're so hard, it's, it's why you don't want to. It is it. not something you want to live off of all season long. But every now and then when you dial it up, it's nice that he has it in his bag. For sure. For sure. And then you had Trez. Trez had a... He was there. <laughs> he, he was there. Plus, hey, 10, plus 10 in 12 minutes. Yeah. He was okay. In the second, he's okay in the second half. But yeah, the, the first half was super rough and he was a plus because the Clippers kept throwing his yeah. teammates the ball when yeah. they were not scoring on him. Yeah. Uh, and I think he was in the game during that maxi run to start the fourth too. And I think that's where some of his plus minus came from too. He was. He, yeah, yeah, give him some go bear screen assists on some of these, <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, Harden though, because he's less predictable. I think what he did in Utah, like that fourth quarter stretch, the Sixers were completely leaking oil and Utah was switching everything, Yep. which is what you and I always say. Why don't other teams try that? I thought against, you know, Jared Vanderbilt, who's a pretty good defender. Harden just calmly lit them up with, with step back threes. And it really looked kind of under control. And then in Los Angeles, he got to the rim a ton. So uh, for him to be playing at this level, I know he, he struggled against the Clips is... Uh, that's a big deal. Like, who knows if he'll keep doing this? You know, we've seen these positive stretches from him and then seen the down times as well, but definitely a good sign for, for everybody moving forward. Yeah. I mean, look, did he struggle against uh, the Clippers? Sure. But over his previous 11 games, he was averaging 23.6 points, 11.6 assists, shooting 48% from the field and 43% from three. He was allowed an off night for sure. Yeah, and even his off night, like in the first half of that Clippers game, they were pushing the ball down the Clippers' throats, yep. and and he was very responsible for hitting on the, getting those hit ahead passes ahead, and you know even if he wasn't the one finishing them. Really wanted that one to Joe though. Really wanted that one to Joe. That's a shame. That's that, a shame. it was Joe got amazing. fouled though, right? Like you, that should count as a highlight. That counts. That counts. Well, hey, Kyle said this, and he's absolutely right. He will die trying <laughs> for a behind the through through the legs yeah. and bead monster Duncan transition. I think we're 0 for four on the season so far <laughs> because of charges and misses and, and all those. Usually things. not gonna, the pass. The pass is usually fine. The, the yeah. pass is, is fine if unnecessary, but yeah, it's uh they're the only ones Joel can't make. Also Joel can't make the uh, Harden gave him a very easy lob that he, he messed up, which is hilarious. Yeah. And then he tried Joe to like, kick the ball. He finished with 28 points, and yeah. that was the one he missed in the yeah. in the first half. Yeah. Uh, what else? Yeah, I mean, it, look, the Sixers play really well in Staples. Have you uh have you seen Embiid's record in Staples? They they showed it after the game. No, I didn't see it. He is I... eight no in games in Staples. Really? Okay. I remember during you know the the one year when he had the real breakout year. When he had like that forty-seven and like seventeen or whatever. Yep. Um, he's had he's definitely had some big games. I didn't realize he was undefeated there though. He is 
Joel Embiid is is the big market king because he talks about all the time how he's Aaron Rodgers and you know he owns the city of Chicago, all of those things. I looked up his record on the road in Madison Square Garden. I guess Brooklyn would would kind of ruin the analogy a little bit, but okay, on the road in MSG, Chicago, and Staples Center, he has a combined twenty two and one record in his career. They win there almost every time he plays. The only loss was to the Knicks early last season. So he, you know, they play these big in these big cities. You know, everybody talks about, you know, people going out L.A., New York, nightlife. Maybe because Joel just plays video games. He's really good at these, <laughs> these places where he doesn't really care about that stuff as much. That's what it was. 46, 15, 7, and 7 against the Lakers in 2017. Yeah. Anyway, I like covering those games. Do you realize he only had one 40-point game that year? Now that we talk about 40 points like it's nothing. He only had one 40-point game that year. Crazy. Crazy. He might. He's going to have like a 35-point half pretty soon. I mean, this is like. Yep. If you you had to bet over under one and a half 50-point. Let's say he's. Here's the caveat. Like you, you know this already. Let's say he misses like four or five games. The rest of it, four okay. games, and they're just mostly rest and maybe a little bit of injury maintenance, but nothing serious. Over under one and a half games with him scoring fifty more points or fifty points or more in a game. How many's he had this year? Two. He's had two. He's been okay. close on a bunch of other times too. See, I think he's definitely. I think he's definitely getting one. Yeah. And there's like what, probably thirty eight games left, something like that. He's, What's he's pretty much got a full half season left. And you're saying he's gonna miss four or five? No, I'll take the over. Yeah, I would I'll too. take the over, especially because too. they're 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 playing a tougher schedule, which you would think means that he's gonna score fewer points, but he's gonna be in the game more often down the stretch. I'll take the over, and with the way that Harden and and he have a chemistry going here, I'll take I'll take the over for sure. And you kind of feel it in these games too, right? Like, like I, I thought the Clippers were going to force him to have a huge game because they were scoring on the other end. And it's like, okay, well, if you can't stop the Embiid pick and roll, you know, the ISOs, all right, maybe you'll get 50 because they're just going to need it. And and it didn't turn out to be the case because Maxie went crazy. But, you know, I, I definitely think we could see one of those games. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. I'm not sure I have too much left. Let's see what there are two games left here on this road trip. You have Portland there on Thursday, which you are at. Have you ever been to Portland before? I have. Okay. Last year. I was there, but for a previous my previous career, uh, I was there for a conference. And then you have the Kings on Saturday before they come home and take on the Brooklyn Nets next Wednesday. Kevin Durantless Brooklyn Nets. The it would be great to have those two teams healthy just once, just for one game. Because not only do you have the whole Ben Simmons thing, but you remember, go back, the whole Joel Embiid, Kevin Durant thing was there for a little bit, and you've got whatever Kyrie could do. That would be great, too. They have really struggled here of late without KD. Uh, lost, I think, three in a row, four out of six. Sixers right now, the a half game back from the two seed in East, half game back from the Milwaukee Bucks, and they are a half game up on the Brooklyn Nets. So they are moving on up. It really does seem like the top six or top five in the East in the Celtics, Bucks, Sixers, 
nets and calves are pretty well cemented. Uh, there's still obviously a lot of season left, but there is a little bit of a cliff there. And the Sixers are making headway on everyone except for the Celtics. And look, I think this stretch too is they literally have everybody healthy right now. They got to take advantage. And I mean, they're doing a great job of it right now. But the top five in the East is a bloodbath. And, and you mm-hmm. don't want to be in that four or five. And frankly, I don't think you want to be in the three six because I'm going to assume Miami is going to get there. And, you know, I think Miami has there. There is a degree of they have one good year and then they're a little worse the next year. Like they they seem to rotate back and forth. They certainly need to answer some questions about can they score in the half court? Why do they play zone 80% of the game? Those type of things. But I, I certainly have watched enough Miami Heat over the past couple of years to respect Jimmy Butler and yeah. Eric Spolster in a playoff series. So You should be favored in that series, but that's not the first opening round series you want, for sure. For sure. Which is why I think if you can get up to that too, it's like, okay. You I would like to smack around the Pacers a little bit, something like totally. that. Totally. If you yeah. get the Pacers or the Hawks or the Knicks, I I like your chances in that one. And no. <laughs> As dysfunctional as the Hawks are, I think I might still have a little PTSD, but you are right. You are right. I think that would be a good one to start with. Cement some demons, you know? Oh, you you should be able to smack them around. That should be no problem, but... Yeah, Yeah, well, you... Look, as long as they're healthy, they they don't have anybody who's afraid of shooting anymore. Yeah, so... Have you seen PJ Tucker? Oh, good point. Well, no, if you stick him in the corner... Not not a step away from the corner. Not Can't be above that break at all. But in the corner. Yeah. How many so, How many above the break three attempts do you think he has right now? Oh, my God. Uh, th- I think three? the last time I checked, he had two. I don't remember if he's taken another one since. Which, by the way, like, this he is a conversation. last night where he was wide open. And, like, people, you were able to defend two people with one defender because there was no chance he was taking that. That's a conversation for another day. Like, other teams, if he is playing and he's above the break, you don't need to guard him. Like you really should be actively running to Embiid or somebody else because until he gets into the corner, he's not doing anything. And by the way, if he gets inside the arc, he's not like he's literally the corner is the only place he's taking a shot (laughs) from now. He's not taking a layup. He's not doing like he tried a floater last week. It was horrible. Yeah. So it's, it's funny. Like when they throw the the season started at the first, at the beginning, I'm like, yo, calm down on the floaters. You're taking too many of them. Now it's like, just do something, do something inside the arc. Just something, something. Yeah. You know what I was thinking of, too? The nice thing about the Eagles being in the playoffs is that unlike the Phillies being in the playoffs, the Sixers are not the most depressing team in the world to talk about. Those early season pods, we were trying to get 20 minutes of Phil's talk squeezed in there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're going to become a a birds podcast now. Is that what you're saying? We're going to 20 minutes a, a pod on the birds. No, we don't need to. I'm excited, but, but we don't need 20 minutes of bird stuff. Like no, I'll be, we don't. I'll be watching the game probably instead of the Kings game, you know, the, the, on, on Saturday night, but which is too bad because the Kings are the best team they're playing on this road trip. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, we just don't need to. Nope. We don't they're need to talk for 20 minutes about it because there's interesting stuff going on with the Sixers now. Yeah, at the beginning of the season, that's right. Phillies were fun to talk about and the Sixers were the opposite of that. They're more fun to talk about now. Not only that, pretty soon we have some real real teams coming in. Kings Nets, all right, so maybe the Nets doesn't have quite as much juice as you thought it was going to. Uh, then Nuggets, that's a great one. A couple against the Magic, Spurs, Knicks, all right, whatever. But after that, you start getting, um, you know, you've got the Nets again there in February. You've got the Cavs. 
mid-February. Grizzlies, Celtics, Heat, Heat. That's a good stretch of games coming up. There will be uh, a lot to... Like I said, I think we will learn more in the last 35 games this season than we've learned anywhere up to this point. And I think this is a team that needs to be challenged. And I hope that uh, hope that a lot of games end stretch prove to be ones that both teams are trying for because I do think we need to we need to figure out who and what they are. And we have a chance to do that. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's just about all that I have. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on. Be safe out there on the West Coast. And we will see you soon and talk to you again soon as well. See you, man. Go Birds.